Welcome to the Do More Podcast, where we share strategies and tips for improving your life in every aspect. Here's your host, John Farling. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Today, we have a good friend of mine, Mike Wagner, with the Storage Rebellion. Mike and I go back probably about, what, five, five and a half years now. And I can honestly say he's been uh, one of the bigger influences in my life, not only with uh, self-storage investing, but also personal development. Uh, I definitely wouldn't be where I'm at today uh, in either space without him. And I don't want to go too far into that or else maybe I'll start crying. So we'll uh, uh, we'll lead into that. And Mike, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, dude, John, I appreciate you having me, man. And, you know, crying's not bad, so we might go there later. Um, <laughs> whether it's you or me, I don't know, but one of us could. That'd be good for somebody. Um, yeah, I appreciate you having me on, man, uh, for uh, I think probably best way to start to introduce myself is first and foremost, I'm a, a husband and a father. Uh, my beautiful wife, Melanie, has blessed me with uh, four kids, the the fourth most recently, uh, four weeks ago, four and a half weeks ago. Um, and my oldest, William, is 10. Lucy is eight. Emma's four. And we just welcomed Jack. He's four weeks old. Um, and they are the reason why I do everything. Um Aside from that, in my uh, uh, in the little bit of time that I dem- uh, dedicate to my professional pursuits, I'm a uh, storage investor. Of course, that's kind of how we pay our bills is is the storage investing. Um, and because of the freedom that 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 investing has kind of offered us, uh, I, as you know, John, may, your audience likely doesn't though. I, I started an education company about four years ago or so, where we teach other people how to invest in storage the way we describe that. As we say uh, that we teach people how to use ordinary garages to create an extraordinary life. Yeah, that's awesome. So um, I thought you were going to keep going. Sorry. Um, that was really short. Yeah, that was, I was, I was expecting a lot more. So we were talking before, uh, before we started recording here and you just got back from Disney with a kid that was three weeks old. <laughs> um, I just wanted to bring that up. Cause I think that's, uh, um, it's awesome for one, but yeah, congratulations on the kid. And uh, let's just get into it. Let's get into the tough questions. So here's my first tough question. What's your favorite color? My favorite color is blue without a doubt. Perfect. All right. Show's over. That's all. I <laughs> to no. So I kind of want to dive into mindset stuff. You're definitely a mindset person and has definitely um, helped me look at things differently. I know I've had some things pop up in the past where I'm like, you know what? Mike would be a good person to talk to. Um, and you, you kind of, you know, helped me through it. So I want to take it back to, I think it was beginning of this year. We were on a group text together and I think it was like a fitness, um, accountability chat. And, um, I don't know, we were probably a few weeks, maybe, maybe even a couple months into it and trying to hold each other accountable. And then we get a text from you and you're like, Hey guys, I got to take a break. Um, I feel like I've been white knuckling too much. Um, and that's, that's the gist of it. I don't want to, um, you know, go further into that, but I was kind of thinking, what do you mean white knuckling? Like we're, this is accountability chat. (laughs) This is holding self, holding each other accountable to work out, um, and stay healthy. Where are you going? Um, so I guess kind of tell us about, I don't know where this is going to go, but tell us about white knuckling, why it's good, why it's bad. Um, maybe use that instance as an example and, and, kind of tells lean into that tell us a little bit about it 
Yeah, for sure. And there's there's a lot of different directions we could go with this. To, to give a little context, I think first and foremost for that accountability thread, I think the ironic part is this was like the reset. I think we had done like a 60-day challenge, yeah. if you remember, and all yeah. of us did really well. And and then I think we took a month off maybe, or maybe it was just the end of the 60 days. And I was like, hey guys, let's let let's reset and roll again. Let's do it. Like, you know, white knuckling, trying to uh, and and I want to be very clear that there's nothing wrong with white knuckling per se. I think it has a time and a place, but I was doing it perpetually in a way where it became unhealthy and we can dig into all of that stuff. But um, yeah, you're right. I, I sent a text and said, hey guys, I think my exact words were, I'm going to, I'm going to put, I said, I think all of these habits and this accountability is really good, uh, but I'm at a place where I need to put a little space between myself and these habits. So I, um, I have what uh, I referred to for a very long time as my cornerstone habit. So this is my daily routine, if you will. It's like the the daily activities that um, served me well. So up, you know, and there were actually up to seventeen at at one point. So if that doesn't give you an idea of how kind of compulsive and obsessive I can become about these things uh, and had become, they they were all on there. It was exercise, diet, hydration, meditation, prayer, reading. You know, all, all the personal growth stuff. All of it good. Um, and, and what I kind of realized is that, you know, those, those can be described as personal development, or some people might even call it like self-care activities or a little bit of both. And what I recognize happened for me is that those things, my relationship to those things had almost become perverted or tainted in some way, where Mm -hmm. instead of doing those things in order to become the best version of myself or to, to, you know, as a way to express self-love or self-care, um, they really became a way to try to earn my worthiness. And it was, it almost became punitive and like, um, militaristic in nature where if I didn't get 16 out of the 17, six days a week, I started to kind of, you know, shit on myself. And it really, again, I want to emphasize that none of the things that were on that list were bad things. They were all intrinsically good, but what had become unhealthy was my relationship to those things. And I was trying to complete enough of them almost as a way to, to cover up feelings of, you know, inadequacy or shame or, or whatever. And, and so it was me trying to white knuckle my way to wellness. And, you know, this isn't the first time I've done that in my life. And and I think we all kind of ebb and flow where we get uh, over involved or attached to something. And then we kind of, you know, have to ride back down the backside of that wave. And, and there's always, I know you've talked on your podcast before about balance or how there really is no such thing as balance, right? It's just a, an ideal concept, but we're always a little out of balance. Um, but I, I found myself riding that wave to the very far extremes. And that's when I decided, Hey, I got to put a little bit of space between myself and these habits. And I think what I said to you guys was, I'm still going to do most of them most days. I'm just not going to keep score anymore. Yep. So is, is that, so white, we say white knuckling, is that in a way, and I'm not, I'm not at all labeling you, but this is, you know, our the society we live in, is that kind of OCD? Well, it, there's a little bit of that for sure. Um, 
and and maybe it'll be helpful if if I explain just for for context kind of how I view white knuckling. I think white knuckling can be a healthy thing and I'll use a personal example, right? So I used to self-medicate with alcohol. I haven't had a drink in a little over 5 years I think give or take. Um and my relationship to alcohol as a uh what I will many people who have struggled with alcohol won't say I'm recovered. They're always recovering mm-hmm. and I'm not I'm not uh, criticizing or judging that it's just not something I subscribe to. I do not have an alcohol problem. I actually now fully understand that I never had an alcohol problem. I had other problems and alcohol was my best attempt at a solution. Right. Mm. Um, but what I pertinent to this conversation, the reason I bring that up is because when I decided, Hey, you know, something's got to change. I don't, uh, this, this drinking thing, Hey, it's still fun sometimes, but it's not a net positive in my life anymore. Sure, it takes the edge off after a long day of work. And I wasn't a, you know, a raging alcoholic throwing my wife through, you know, second story windows or anything like that. In fact, when I told her I was going to stop drinking, she's like, why? You don't have a problem. And I was like, not externally. You're right. I don't. But if you knew what I was feeling inside, you'd understand. And I'm just not going, you know, I I don't want to do that to myself anymore. And so um, in those early days, I did have to uh, exert energy and discipline and resist the urge to go out with some buddies and have a beer or two. Uh, and I had to white knuckle abstinence from alcohol. And that was mm-hmm. a very good thing, right? Like if you're drinking too much, then go white knuckling alcohol or white knuckling sobriety is a really good transition, right? Like even if it's hard being sober versus being drunk, if it's an issue for you is, is a good move. But what I also understand is I've got this concept. I don't, I'm not going to pretend I made it up, but it, it, the way I describe it is that was that white knuckling was mastery of the alcohol problem, right? It was another problem that I used alcohol to treat, but it was, it resolved that issue. I was no longer drinking. So a lot of those, those conflicts internally were gone and it was good, but I was still what I would describe as I hadn't yet mastered the inverse evil. So alcoholism, drinking too much was evil. If I go to the far end of the spectrum and I have to distance myself as far away from alcohol as possible and white knuckle the heck out of it, well, I'm still mastered by alcohol. It's just I'm mastered by the avoidance of it rather than the immersion in it. And so what I've been able to do over the last five years through a lot of deep internal work is, sure, yes, initially we white knuckle and bring ourselves way over here. And in time, I found the way to come back to center where now my relationship to alcohol is one of neutrality. Like, I don't care if we go to the bar and you're having a drink and you got to go take a pee, I'll hold your beer for you. I don't like that, that doesn't bother me the way it bothers a lot of alcoholics. And, and again, there's no criticism or judgment here. It's just a, um, I think, a helpful way to think about our relationship to the things. Because the truth is, somebody who white knuckles sobriety still has an unhealthy relationship with alcohol. Whereas I found a way to come back to center and all... Um, this alcohol example is just one example. The same is true for things that most people would say are good, right? Alcohol is, you know, it, it's, 
I don't know, controversial in many ways, because a lot of people say, well, it's not bad for you. It's like, well, it's kind of a poison. And yes, in moderation, it's not going to kill you overnight, but it's definitely like you're ingesting a poison. And if that's your choice, you're doing it, it's fine. But there are other things that most people would say undeniably are healthy, like exercise. That's, I would suggest also not always healthy because I white knuckled my way into a very fit, physically fit shape. I ran 10 or 12 marathons. I did a couple of Ironmans. I, very healthy. Same with a healthy diet or nutrition, like food, eating. People would say eating well is healthy. Well, not if your relationship to eating well is obsessive to the point where you're only eating six hours a day. You're you know, very rigid. If you do indulge in a little snack, you then shame and, and, you know, uh, participate in some self-loathing and don't eat for 24 hours after that. Like there's all sorts of unhealthy relationships to otherwise healthy things, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's, it's interesting to think of white knuckling or however you want to label it as, uh, you know, an alcoholic who is white knuckling not to drink. Right. Like, I don't think I don't think we think about it that way. Um, this is all really interesting, really good stuff. Uh, I knew we'd get deep pretty quick here. Um, I did want to ask. So I guess how do you how do you do the work? You said you had to do the work and w- within yourself. Where do you start? Because obviously you've got to you have to see something like, OK, there's I won't call it an issue, but there's something here that I've got to do work on. How do you where do you even start? and How do you do that work? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I'm not going to pretend to have the answer for everybody. I can tell you the path I took. And, and admittedly, it probably wasn't even the quote unquote best path for me because none of us are perfect. We're human. And and the fastest way to succeed is to fail really quickly. And right. So I'm, I'm into trying a lot of things. And, and I think that's helped me. Um, first and foremost, I think it comes down to awareness and a desire. Right. Um, so the awareness that I had was like, you know, all of the things I did in my life, going to school, getting good grades, getting a good job, like that all made my life better back in my, you know, teens and twenties. Cool. And then it was like, well, it's better, but it's not good enough yet. And so then I moved into real estate and uh, eventually into self-storage and ultimately found financial freedom. And it was like, well, yeah, things are better than when I was living paycheck to paycheck. And it's not everything I thought it was going to be. There's right. Like financial freedom did a lot for me, but it didn't do everything I, I pretended it was going to do before I had it, if that makes sense. Um, and that's really hard for people that, that haven't yet found financial freedom to swallow. They're like, well, you must just be doing it wrong because if I was financially free, trust me, I'd be happy all the time and life would be good. <laughs> eh, I hate to tell you, uh, that's not exactly the case. Right. Um, and you know, so then the next iteration was moving into the the coaching space. And it's something I genuinely love to do, like helping people, having an impact, watching people have the light bulb go off. If I can have a positive impact on people and get compensated for doing it, like that's just a life hack. Like I get paid to figure out how to live a better life so I can show other people ideas that might allow them to live a better life. Like there's there are few professions that offer that uh, synergistic relationship between compensation and just like fulfillment. Again, here's the same thing. It's not about the thing, whether it's good, good or bad. It's about the relationship. 
helping people. One of my goals was to help 40 people become millionaires through storage. Well, that's great and noble, but if I hinge my self-worth on whether or not I succeed at that, I'm going to be disillusioned once I get to that quote unquote finish line, just Mm. the same way I was when I thought financial freedom was all I need to do to be happy. Well, now it's, I got to pay it forward 40 times and then I'll be happy. Well, the goalposts keep moving even when you don't mean to move them. And so uh, to more succinctly answer your question, my kind of, the way I started to do the work was to recognize, okay, in light of what Albert Einstein said, right? The the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and hoping to produce different results. It's like, if I keep doing more, bigger, better, and every time there's a short season of contentment and then a very, I'm going to describe it as dark, not to be overly dramatic, but period of disillusionment, like maybe I shouldn't keep upping the ante and trying more of the same in hopes I'll get a different result. Maybe I should start shifting my attention to something different. And that's what I refer to when I say do the work is I essentially shifted. I don't want to say my entire focus, but the vast majority of my focus and my energy shifted inward to really get to the the depth of who I am and what's going to fulfill me. Because what I know is that most folks seek success in hopes that they'll find fulfillment. Hmm. And what I'm very passionate about now, and I'm, I'm figuring out, figuring it out as I go is helping highly successful men find the fulfillment. They thought their success would provide them. Hmm. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> I probably got like 17 questions. So do you still, you, you talked about goals and they could be not goals, but the goal posts. Uh, well, one, do you think if you wouldn't have become financially free that you would have gotten here um, personally? It's a great question. Great, great question. And I can't say for sure because the, it happened in the order it happened for me. And, and right. so to pretend that I know it could have happened a different way, it would be kind of arrogant. But what I do know to be true is that I, I, I'll say my belief is that the vast majority of people will find the fulfillment they're looking for if they simultaneously pursue success and financial freedom at the same time that they're pursuing this inward fulfillment, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? My, um, my journey was one of like, if financial freedom, then personal fulfillment and, and, you know, self-realization and actualization and all that. And I can say definitively, at least for myself, that my outward pursuits of success, whether it was financial freedom, impacting other people, finishing marathons, getting to Boston, then moving to triathlons, like whatever it was, my, my outward success required energy. And that was energy that I couldn't deploy inward. And so in many ways, I was I was aiming at an external target that, again, was not bad in and of itself. Like those are good things to accomplish. But I my relationship 
was one where I was trying to use the confidence that I acquired through my external achievements to cover up or, or almost to be a band-aid over the low self-esteem that was actually inside of me. It's like, if I can get John Farling and 50 other people to really like me, maybe I'll get to like all of me at that point too. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, I was basically outsourcing my affirmation and validation through achievement and success and, and, you know, financial freedom and impact and all of those things that aren't intrinsically bad. My relationship to them was faulty. Um, and it really took me, uh, I, I believe that there's plenty of people that might not have that same kind of inner wound that I have. I think all of us have, you know, things that we could work through and process that would open us up to even greater success. One of the examples I use a lot, John, you've heard me say this is like, you know, that inner critic in our head that's like, Hey, you're not good enough unless you do this. It's like, well, that guy got me off the couch for decades and, (laughs) and contributed to a lot of success. And in the past I would have said like, I want to honor that inner critic for, for, for causing the success. I now know that he didn't actually cause it. He did contribute to the external success I achieved. But I also believe that inner critic kept me back from even greater success. Mm. And so my encouragement to my students and anybody who's, who's you know, um, willing to listen to what I have to say on the subject is, is don't look at it as if financial freedom, then I can X, Y, Z. Pursue both in parallel. Because the truth is, the achievement and the success, like we have a full uh, physiologic system dedicated to that. It's called the dopamine system, right? And that's where productivity and motivation and reward seeking comes in. And it's there for a reason and it's really good. I think our society kind of puts 90% of our eggs in that basket and about 10% of our eggs in the... um, the, the other basket, which would be the serotonin, that's the love and belonging um, for self and others. That's like the contentment. That's the happiness, bliss chemical. Um, America really doesn't give a shit about that, right? Like if we're just going to be honest, it's all about like, what have you done for l- lately? And oh, that's a great accomplishment, but what's next? Um, and that goes all the way back into our school systems where we're, ba- you know, we're graded based on achievement. And as soon as we graduate high school, we get three weeks of pats on the back. And then it's like, well, where are you going to college? And the truth is mm-hmm. we were talking about college two years before we even graduated high school. Right. And so this isn't a me problem. I think this is a, a just a byproduct of how our society is set up. And a lot of great developments and innovations have come out of it. All I'm kind of the song I'm singing is one about balance where we recognize that there's two systems and if they're optimally balanced, maybe 50, 50, if that's the right number, I don't really know, but dopamine, serotonin, that's personal development and self-care in their true forms. Then that's the highest level of not only fulfillment, but when we're fulfilled, we create success at a much higher level than we do if we're just white knuckling our way grinding through day in day out to to get to the next goalpost yeah so to put simply i guess it's good to have goals it's not good to think that once you reach a goal or certain goals that it's going to make you better or love yourself better exactly that's exactly right and and 
one of the things that I tell myself often to remind myself of that, because this is everything I say here, I forget on a freaking daily basis, dude. Like I wish that I, you know, I, I could speak it much more than I can do it internally. But part of talking about it is what bolsters my ability to do it. Right. There's that saying when one teaches to learn. So that's why I'm always so excited to talk about this stuff, because it's like I come out smarter on the other end. Um, yep. But what I often say to myself is the value in the goal. And I don't know who I stole this from, but somebody else said it. Um, the value in the goal is not in achieving it, but it is in who we become in as we pursue the goal. Hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I kind of want to shift a little bit, and it, it it popped in my mind when you brought up society and society how society kind of teaches us things that probably not a great you know a lot of lot, there's good things, but a lot of not so great things. And I've been thinking about this. I don't remember where I heard it, and I've brought it up on another show before, but I'm sure you've got a pretty good take on it. Um, entertainment. So we'll use sports for an example. Um, not sports that we're playing in, but sports that are on TV. You know, it, it, you live um, near Buffalo, so we'll say Buffalo Bills. If you're watching and you're glued to this team, it's almost a virtual reality where you're taking yourself out of your own environment and almost living through those players or the, the team's life in a way. And it's, and I've been trying to like work through that because I watch some basketball. Um, mm -hmm. I don't watch much TV, but I'll watch basketball every once in a while. Uh, my TV time's definitely gone down as I get older and kids are a big reason. But this thought that entertainment is kind of a virtual reality to unplug us from our, our own lives is, um, I don't know, it's kind of scary. What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think you're you're spot on, right? It, it definitely can be. It can also just be totally a, a, a healthy hobby or indulgence, right? Like there are uh, plenty of folks who watch a half of football a week, a couple, you know, a couple weeks a year. Maybe they watch every Sunday, but it's one game, and and if their team loses, their day isn't ruined, and if their team wins, they're not happy for three days, right? It's it's really like to what extent are we hinging our well being on in this case the the football team, but we could zoom out and look at this um, at a very macro level of like, you know, the extent to which our well-being is predicated by our preferences being met. That's really what, when I talk about the work, that's what I'm talking about is like, I try to detach myself from my preferences. So if you ask me, I prefer that my son and I win in fantasy football. But if we don't win, my job is to not let that ruin my day. Now, he's 10. He's terrible at this. It ruins his week, man. Um, and it's really an interesting dynamic, especially for my son and I speaking personally, because I was an addict to just about anything you could be addicted to. I've been addicted to it. I'll just be honest with you. Um, and I was addicted to football back in the day, high school, college, fantasy football, um, to the point where like my wife would leave Sunday morning when the pregame show started and she wouldn't come back until 10 o'clock at night, halftime of the Sunday night game. And I'd watch the rest of the half and then go to bed. Like I was all day, every day. And then Monday night and Thursday nights too. Um, and it was definitely a medication the same way alcohol was sometimes mm -hmm. in lieu of alcohol and sometimes in combination with, cause what's better than two distractions at once. Right. Like, uh, and, and so I think there's, there's, you're definitely onto something that, the point I want to make is, again, I don't want to kick a dead horse, but it's not football that's bad. It's 
any one individual's relationship to football. And if, if that game is, is, um, and, and people know this, right. So, uh, people know in their heart, if they're honest, they'll look and go, yeah, I shouldn't really care as much as I do. Well, the reason I'm caring so much about this football game is because it's easier to care about that than it is to hold up a mirror, look inside myself and like work through what I might need to work through. Right. It's a distraction. Mm, Um, And that's what they, you know, when you talk about addiction, like the addiction is anything we do in the short term to distract us from our pain, Mm. even though we whether we recognize it consciously or not, we, we know that in the long term, it's not good for us. So you can be addicted to literally anything. You can be addicted to podcasts. I've been addicted to podcasts, right? This is the, the um, you know, this was the season where I would consume every book, read every podcast, because the next thing that John Farlene says will be so smart that maybe that'll be the thing that fixes whatever feels broken inside of me. It's like, or I could just do the work that we alluded to and figure out, all right, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm also not a problem to be fixed. I'm intrinsically valuable. And from that foundation, now let's go out into the world and interact with it and enjoy a podcast or a football game or whatever it might be. And I hope I answered your question. You know me, dude. Sometimes I just get talking. No, that's, it's all, dude, this is awesome. This is all really good stuff. My guess is, uh, what, 29 minutes in, uh, 27 of these minutes, people have probably never heard of this stuff. So no, this is awesome. And, um, you brought up a a couple things and it kind of reminded me of, um, my, I guess, transition from basketball because from probably the age of six, seven, eight till, 2021, I played basketball every single day, um, and it was my life. So there's a transition there from, obviously, I didn't go pro. Um, I barely hung on through most of college, and then it was like, okay, what am I, who am I, what am I doing? And I felt this itch, this urge to continue to to continue to stay with basketball. So I started coaching, and it was my Fifth year, I think I, I wanted to go coach um, college basketball. But I think it was my fifth year into coaching, and I was coaching JV team. And after the season, I, part of it was our daughter was born. But I think because we had, I had a good team. Um, we probably overachieved what we should have done. Had a fun time, and it just was a really good season. It felt like that itch was gone, and I no longer had to coach basketball. And it was literally like a light switch mm. that hit. And I'm like, I'm cool with not coaching anymore. And up until that point, I was not, I was all about coaching. Um, so maybe I, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I wanted to share that. And maybe let's talk a little bit about identity. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. How does that, how, how do we, and, and you talked about it too, right? You were watching football and, and drinking, and that was probably part of your identity. Mm-hmm. How do we, how do we grasp onto it and be like, okay, I am hanging on to a bad identity, bad piece of myself here. I need to let go. This is not me. Yeah, it's a great question. So, and identity is a very complex uh, concept, obviously. 
And, and there's kind of two ways to look at it. One is to acknowledge that, you know, we all have an identity, right? And, and um, you know, yours was as a basketball player and then uh, a basketball coach. And then you got to the point where it didn't need to be that. But, and, and, you know, you transitioned into real estate and self-storage. And, and now you've likely adopted some of that as part of your identity. And there's lots of really healthy aspects to doing that. Um, you know, I was, uh, a smoker and a drinker and a partier. And yeah, I definitely hinged my identity on the guy who could, I uh, only 160 pounds, but I could drink as much as my 300 pound buddy. You watch, like, we'll have a good time and you'll see who can stay up till 6am. Like I literally, it, it sounds so I'm embarrassed to say this out loud, but like, I literally part of my identity on was hinged on what a good partier I was. Like we could go for days and weeks at a time on fish tour and like, whatever it just, it, it's crazy to think about. Um, and then I, I, I replaced that identity with a healthier one. To your point, I, I became a, a runner and then a marathoner and then a triathlete and uh, got pretty good. I qualified for Boston. I ran in the Boston Marathon. And uh, funny story, the way I did that is my junior year of college, I just made a rule that for every drink I had, I had to run a mile. So if I went out and drank 12 beers in a night, I didn't have to do it the next day because that would have just been really mean to myself. But by the end of the month, my numbers of miles had to uh, eclipse my number of beers. And then over time, I got to like a four to one ratio. And, you know, I, I got really fast at running and really fast for myself. Um, so I replaced my identity with this new identity. Um, and then when I couldn't get any faster as a runner, because I had just I had just run Boston, I was like, I don't want to. I was I qualified for Boston. I ran uh, three hours and 10 minutes, which is like a 717 pace for 26.2 miles. And um, I don't know how graphic I should be on your show, but I will tell you, I spent six hours very, very ill after that um, mm. in ways that nobody wants to be ill. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and uh, so I kind of recognized, well, that's probably not good for me. I can't keep pushing that limit. But I also can't just toss this identity away. I've got to have something to hinge my value on because it's not not rooted inside of me. I need something externally to hinge it on. And so I picked up triathlons. It's like, well, if I run and swim and I can extend, now I can go for 12 hours and it doesn't beat myself up as this three-hour marathon does. Um, and so there's all of that I, I wanted to share because I I think it it offers a context that I can share this concept that hopefully will be valuable for the listeners. I like to think of the identity, and this comes from Richard Rohr, the identity is the container, right? It's the container that um, we build up to create safety and security in. So it's our ego for, for lack of it. And I don't mean ego like as a bad thing. It's just like, this is my identity. This is who I am. This is how the world sees me. This is how I see myself within the world. Here's this container. And I swapped my partying container for a health fitness container. And that was a good transition. No one would argue with that. That was healthy for, for me, for sure. But it was still just an empty container. Mm -hmm. And if all anyone ever does is swap out their container for the next one, for the next one, for the next one, they've never filled the container. And that's where this inward work that I talked about comes into play. The only reason to have a container is one, to protect ourselves when we are young and insecure and we need that protection. But as we grow and mature into the second half of our life, the calling is to, okay, take that container that you have and start filling it. Mm 
with something of more substance, right? Now, here's the critical thing. That doesn't mean that like, because what will happen is myself included, you'll, you'll, if you start to wrap your head around this concept, you're like, oh yeah, it's the ins, inward stuff. The, that, that's all that matters. And those people that are worried about their container, they're not as good as me. They're not as evolved. They're not enlightened. It's like, well, no, because you can't fill an uncontainer. You need a container in order to fill it. The challenge is if all you ever do is build the container, and this is where you see midlife crises come in, mm-hmm. right? Somebody builds a container, they have this identity, then they hit middle age, usually 40 to 45 years old. And they're like, oh, this didn't fill me the way I wanted it to. So instead mm-hmm. of trying to fill the container and doing the hard internal work, they're like, well, let me go get a Corvette and a hotter wife or just a, a chick on the side or whatever it is, right? Like whatever that stereotypical midlife crisis is. And they basically swap out their old container for a new one and wonder why it doesn't fill them up either. Mm-hmm. Well, because you're focused on building, building the container instead of filling it. Wow. And I think the last piece I should add is it's not like one and then the other. Same concept that we mentioned before. It's not if this, then that. Yes, you have to build somewhat of a container before you can fill it. But you can't wait to fill the container until after you've built the perfect container because what's going to happen, what should happen is in, if you want to manage this, this kind of transition from building the container to filling it in a healthy way, you should build the container, start to fill it up a little bit, realize, oh, this container won't hold this stuff that I want to put inside it, or it might start to crack. So then you got to bolster the container a little bit. Or you might need to make the container a little bigger to fill all the stuff inside you want. And it's so it's going to evolve over time. It's not one and then the other. Um, but you do need that foundational container to begin with. And we all develop that, you know, as children, as we grow, you know, and develop, you know, it happens through middle school and, and you know, as our egos emerge and we start to really develop an identity. Because you've seen your kids, your three and four year old kids they don't have any concept of identity. They're not insecure. They're not, they don't, they're, they're just them. Nope. But it's society, again, going back to what we talked about, the, the um, pressures of society that cause us to need to protect ourselves. Sometimes that protection is just, as you said, it's an over association with a football team that's external to us. And we hinge all our well-being on that team because it's easier than, looking at our own container and what may or may not be inside it yet and, and kind of doing the work to fill it. Yeah. That's a really, really good analogy. Um, which I think paints that picture pretty clear too. So as you were talking, it kind of reminded me that you're super competitive dude, right? We could call white knuckling a little bit OCD, maybe some addiction, whatever, however you want to label it. You're super competitive dude. Um, and I think that's probably why I'm also drawn to you too. And, and you know, maybe we, that's why we get along for other reasons too. But um, how do you, because I've, I've found, and as we get older, we find ways to kind of, I don't want to say control it, but um, have the, the competitiveness come out at times and then put it away. Mm-hmm. How do you, for lack of a better way of describing it, how do you control it? Yeah, it's a good question. And and I like that you said for lack of a better way to describe it, because I, I'm not a huge fan of the word control nope. only. And this is this is not this does not say anything about anybody other than myself. But my attempts to control everything 
as part of my container, right? Type A, OCD, high achieving, hard charging entrepreneur, highly competitive. That was so that I can control everything around me so that I'd feel okay. And the evolution I've been going through recently is one where I'm relinquishing control and I'm surrendering. Um, mm. Now, some people might say, well, yeah, so that probably means that Mike's a, a pansy now and not as competitive. Again, it's not being competitive that's good or bad. It's my relationship to the outcome of the competition that's good or bad. I used to be competitive because if I lost, it hurt so much. Like it was like, it ate me up inside because I'm like, I'm not as good as them. They beat me in this game. They must be worth more on this planet than I'll ever be. And it was like, again, I want to be very clear. These weren't conscious thoughts. This is a, a retrospective analysis of who I once was. Um, where I was just very attached to winning and I still love to win, but I can do it in a healthy way because it's like, at the end of the day, whether or not I win on the, on the basketball court, which I'm not very good at, you've shown me that a time or two as we've played. Uh, but I have a blast playing. Um, I used to, let me backtrack. I used to avoid things like golf and I literally said out loud, I don't want to do anything that I can't be the best at and I'm not willing to golf enough to be the best at it. So I'm just not going to do it. It's like, well, how many fun rounds of golf did I miss out on simply because I was over attached to winning at golf? Mm. Right. And so there's a point where your com my competitive nature can get in the way of where it doesn't serve me. And so that's what I try to be really conscious of now is like when I can harness my competitive nature to serve me well, to allow me to enjoy the pursuit of excellence. Awesome. And sometimes I'm going to, you know, let the pendulum swing a little too far. And then I'll realize, Oh, I'm getting a little caught up here. It's not that important whether I win or lose. I'm still going to try my best, obviously, because not everybody gets a trophy, but I'm okay if I don't get a trophy every game. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying you're a golfer now? No, I'm not a golfer. That's all I got out of that. I would be willing to golf. Okay. Um, it, it's fun. I actually, my best man at my wedding gave me a uh, uh, set of clubs for my wedding present. Well, for Melanie and I's wedding present. And on the note, he's like, Melanie, I know this doesn't seem like it's for you, but trust me, it is. <laughs> she still hasn't forgiven him. She's like, that was not for me. <laughs> yeah. Where are those? Those are what? 12, 15 years old? Uh, yeah. 15 years old. And I, I probably got rid of them eight years ago, which was probably four years after I played my last round of golf. <laughs> I don't think I've right. swung a golf club in, in 12 years. Well, sounds like you're open to it. So we'll get you out there. Uh, yeah, no, I, well, and, and golf is a good analogy for life because you cannot go out there thinking one that you're going to beat the game um, or you're playing against somebody else. Right. And it's hard not to, cause you're keeping score and that's what makes it fun. But I would never play golf again if I was out there trying to win, because mm. I, I don't think I've ever won that. You never win at golf, right? It's just, it's one of those games. Yeah. Um, you brought up conscious thoughts. And I know on, on one of my uh, posts that you said something about how to overcome subconscious limitations. Let's go there. How do you, first of all, what are subconscious limitations? And then how do you overcome those? Yeah. So, uh, great question. Uh, hopefully you have six out. I must have really good questions. Cause you said that like 12 times now. 
Uh, well, you do, man. And 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 it's also full disclosure. This doesn't take away the fact that they are great questions. It also gives me about seven seconds to start to formulate my answer <laughs> so that I can share it with you. Um, but it really is a great, great question. And what I would say is this. So one of the things I say often is that what I learned about myself is that my conscious understanding of things isn't enough to overcome my subconscious limitations. Right. And, you know, this can start to sound a little hippie. It's like, you, you, you know, your you're consciousness. Was that? Late. You're too late. Yeah. <laughs> We're good. Though, yeah. Man. It's all very hippie. Uh, <laughs> and if people are watching, they, they can see my long hair. Um, but, uh, you know, we talk about consciousness and expanding our consciousness and our subconscious. And it's like, ah, it's a little out there. Um, but the truth is, those are just words. And we could use other words like like expanding your consciousness another way to say that is learn more about yourself or learn more in general about anything, right? If you're conscious only of yourself, then you can expand your consciousness by being aware also of John and how he feels, right? Um, so uh, with that disclaimer placed out there, your my conscious understanding of an example, right? Uh, I'll use an example. Say, I don't know, call it four or five years ago after I, I quit drinking, um, I I started to really embrace this idea intellectually that my worth is God-given and it's not dependent on my marathon times, my triathlon times, my how many millions of dollars I have, how how little I work, right? Because for a while, you know, John, I was like, I'm only working 10 to 12 hours a week for the next 18 months. And I did it and I'm glad I did. And it had some good residual benefits because workaholism was something of my past as well. Uh, but at the same time, I hinged my worth. If I worked 20 hours, I was like, oh, I'm a schmuck. I, I couldn't do it in 12 this week, right? Um, but I, I started to understand that my worth, intellectually, I understood that my worth wasn't dependent on any of those things, that it was just something intrinsic to myself, God-given worth that no one could take from me. Intellectually, I understood it. But subconsciously, because of experiences from my childhood, there were aspects of me that I just hated. I, I know it sounds overly dramatic, but not like I didn't have conscious thoughts that, hey, I hate myself. I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. But I had this biological consequence of trauma that I endured. My father died when I was young. Um, my mom did the absolute best she could. I'm not blaming her for anything. Uh, she always has been and always will be my hero. And she wasn't able to provide me with everything I needed to be safe and secure as a kid. And so I literally lived the last 40 years of my life scared out of my mind. I just didn't know it. I was running on fight or flight, adrenaline and cortisol all the time. Again, it contributed to a lot of the success I had. It also created ultimately um, a, a dark spot inside of me. And it was it was the lack of wellness that accumulated inside of me, this kind of anxiety and depression. You know, occasionally it was like, oh, I just get in a funk and then I'd come out of it and then a little longer funk and come out of it. And over time it got, um, you know, more and more clear to me that I wanted to resolve it. And so what I needed to do was start to explore my subconscious. What are the things about my past that I, uh, that I don't, that I'm not conscious of. I, I, I don't want to say that I don't know because what I now understand is that uh, 
I always knew this stuff. I just didn't know it intellectually. I knew it biologically, physically, uh, spiritually, and emotionally. Um, and what I did was I hid from my emotions in my intellect. That's why at risk of sounding arrogant, I'm a really smart guy because I've been flexing my brain for 40 years to protect myself from a very immature emotional system. Because when I was young, stuff happened and I couldn't process those emotions. So I had no other choice. It was a survival strategy that served me really well. But as time went on, I got to the point where I needed to restore balance. And so that's where I started to go, okay, I knew intellectually my worth was not hinged on my uh, external development or, or achievements, but at the same time, knowing that in my brain wasn't enough to resolve the well, the lack of wellness that I was experiencing. Hopefully that makes sense. It makes complete sense. Yeah. I had a ton of questions and completely lost them. Cause I, I mean, while you're talking, I'm kind of doing some self-reflecting too. And it's, um, yeah, it, it's crazy. Just the, the things that we've gone through, how they affect us later in life. Um, when do you think, so obviously there's some extrinsic and intrinsic things that you can work on. I know we've talked about, um, and I know like I live in Ohio during the winter, I get some seasonal depression. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about that, um, you know, just taking vitamins and that might help. I don't know if you can answer this, but one, well, one, when did you start really doing, doing this heavy lifting, you know, personal development on yourself? And then two, um, how much of it is extrinsic compared to intrinsic? Yeah, it's a great question. So I've been a personal development guy since I got into real estate 15 years ago, right? Or whenever that was, uh, when I buy my first deal, 18 years ago. Goodness, we're old, John. I'm old. <laughs> um, so I, you know, personal development, and and here's what I want to offer you. This this is just kind of coming through me as as because of what you shared, intrinsic and extrinsic. I think of those in some ways as the difference between personal development. That's the extrinsic. Like, at least that's how I approached it is like, let me develop myself into more better, best versions, the best version of myself. And there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, we all want to achieve our potential. And I think it, I actually think it's a, a responsibility of ours to achieve our um, our highest potential because that's what God calls us. You know, it's the idea of stewardship where to treat all of the blessings, the resources that we have as if they're not ours, but they're his. And we're to do as much good as we can with them. That includes our body and ourself and our time and our energy and our money and our love and everything. Um, but when we talk about personal development, that for me was extrinsic. And even that became a distraction or, or something that I at one point had an unhealthy relationship with. Because essentially what I was trying to do through my own personal development was to kill off all the parts of me that I didn't like. It's like, oh, the drinking, lazy, procrastinating Mike, let's kill him off by developing ourselves personally, <clears throat> kill him off and replace him with somebody else. And then the workaholic Mike, let's kill him off by only working 12 hours a week for 18 months. And, you know, and the the critical Mike, the, the critical voice in his head let's try to criticize him to go away. It's like, well, you can't judge 
yourself out of being judgmental, right? Like that, that's just a, a non-starter. It's circular logic. It's not, you're not going to get to any sort of finish line as if there were one. Um, and so the big transition for me was probably in the last two to three years um, where I shifted. I still believe very, very strongly in the value that personal development offers. But I think if that's where the game ends, there we're leaving a lot on the table and where I've shifted my energy to is personal or self-acceptance. And that's mm -hmm. the intrinsic work. So personal development is extrinsic, personal or self-acceptance being intrinsic. And it sounds cheesy, like self-love, like trauma, healing, all of these things. Like I know personally that all of those words I would like cringe at is be like, dude, just like, if you're going to talk to that about anybody, make it be your therapist behind closed doors and don't tell anybody else. Cause that's just weird stuff. Like, Healing is for people that can't handle life, right? Like, mm -hmm. and it, I want to be very clear. That's how I used to think. I'm not proud of it. I'm just saying it as a way to relate to anyone else who I feel that way. I now have an immense amount of compassion for and, and admiration for people that have the courage to pursue these things. One of the things I say is like, cause the word trauma or healing can make a lot of people cringe. If they're mm -hmm. honest and you just like, what's your, what's your gut or body reaction when I say like, you know, I underwent some trauma. If that makes you cringe, that's probably an egoic container protection against some of your own trauma. Like the more those words bug you, the more you could probably benefit from, from walking this journey. And again, it, it's not for everybody. Um, and it shouldn't be. I'm not suggesting that anyone who doesn't decide to do this kind of work is any less than people that do. There's no judgment embedded in it. It's just um, I'm very passionate about sharing the opportunity only because the same way I thought a really fast marathon or a million dollars or helping 40 people become millionaires was going to fulfill me. I also thought personal development was going to fulfill me. And it wasn't until I realized that it's really self-acceptance, which embodies what I would describe as, you know, not only the intellect and the mind, but the heart and the emotions, and then the, the body as well. And where those three overlap I believe there's that that's where true spirituality is, is, um, experienced. And that to me is, um, again, not a finish line cause there is no such thing, but that is where I have personally, the only place where I found true contentment and fulfillment, harmony, balance, peace, like well-being, whatever word anybody wants to use to describe it. That's where I found it was the integration of those three areas, which then produces the spiritual uh, experience. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. This is, I, we're almost an hour in this and I, we could probably go another two hours, but I know uh, maybe we'll do like a 10 part series or something, but <laughs> um, <laughs> this is awesome stuff, man. Um, I feel, I feel like, uh, and obviously this is a podcast and there'll, there'll be people that listen to it, but I feel like, uh, uh, this is like a one-on-one -on -one coaching session. I get to ask whatever I feel like. So this is pretty cool. <laughs> um, so we'll kind of, we'll start to wrap up here. What, what do you think is your best trait that has made you successful in all areas of life? So at business, family, spiritual, everything. 
Um, yeah, that's a great question. There it is again. Yes, because I, I and I I need the time on this one. Uh, the, what I'm going to do is instead of formulate an answer from my intellect, I'm just going to tell you the first thing that emerged for me. And that was my, uh, and this might sound contrary based on a lot of what I've shared so far, but, um, I'm still applying it just in different ways. It, it is a level of grit and perseverance. Like I am a, mm-hmm. a tough, tough dude. Like I can endure pain, um, to my own detriment. I talked about that marathon where I was very sick for six hours after like, that is a superpower that I have, and it served me really well. It's actually what allowed me to survive a lot of the tra- traumatic experiences in my youth is I can compartmentalize and really detach. So I can hide in my brain. You can't you can't do a, a 12-hour triathlon and stay tuned into your body, or at least I couldn't, and stay tuned into your body and not go insane because it's just painful. Like it's not. So you need to distract yourself. You need to hide, and you need to find ways to um, – keep going even when your body would try to tell you to stop, right? And your brain's screaming stop and you just kind of, again, to bring this full circle, white knuckle your way through. Um, I'm still applying that same perseverance and grit to my life, but I'm doing it in a way that almost with a condition on it. And that is that the thing that I'm applying my grit and perseverance to has to be in service of the whole me as opposed to trying to kill off a part of me, right? I ran really fast for three hours to qualify for Boston because if I could, then maybe I'd be good enough and I could kill off that little part of me that didn't feel like he was good enough, the little boy inside, right? Now, when I'm applying that persistence and grit, it's, it's toward this healing journey. Like it's hard to grieve your father's death death 35 years after he died. Like I cried for days, dude, multiple times over the last couple of years. Um, and it, you, you were witness to it, John, it, you know, I'm still running my business, but, but it's, it's, you know, has me second guessing a lot of the container that I've built as I look to pursue it. And that's uncomfortable. Um, I mentioned on one of your Facebook posts, I think about, um, y- you were, uh, judging yourself a little bit about not getting out of your comfort zone. And I pushed back and I said, bullshit, I don't buy that story. You are pushing and have been pushing out of your comfort zone. It just didn't feel like it because of how much you've practiced it, yada, 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 right? Like, mm-hmm. I think that's um, a really long-winded way for me to say perseverance and grit is probably my one of my superpowers. Yeah, no, and that's, um, that's probably common with a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, your answer is definitely a lot deeper than, than most, uh, but I think just to keep going is, you know, because especially as entrepreneurs, you're going to run into obstacles no matter what those look like. And yeah, I think that is a superpower. And um, yours may be a super superpower that, um, you know, you can compartmentalize things and, and um, you know, that all works out for you. Well, um, one, let me add one piece to that. Um, I think it's very important in my encouragement because I think you're right. And, and this is why entrepreneurs, some of this, what I'm sharing resonate equal parts resonates with hard charging entrepreneurs and also repels them. And I think the difference is the perseverance and grit that we apply to our external pursuits is oftentimes not always, and not exclusively, but oftentimes there is a healthy, uh, unhealthy element of running away from who we truly are Mm. trying to perform our way into being somebody 
And what I'm talking about now is applying that same perseverance and grit toward approaching who we really are. Mm. And that's just as scary. Believe me. (laughs) Yeah, no, I believe you. No, that's a, that's a, that's a really good spot that, that we can end on too. Um, I do want to ask before we can tell people where they can find you uh, what's next for you. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, just had my fourth kid, as we mentioned at the outset of the show. So obviously spending, I'm, I'm, I believe very highly in, in life work balance. Um, but I need a certain amount of work to, to feel fulfilled and, and, uh, fill up that dopamine section. So, um, I'm still going to continue operating the storage rebellion. We've got an incredible group of people who meet a couple times a year, uh, in real life. And then of course, much more frequently online to, to talk storage and and help people use these ordinary garages to create an extraordinary life. My hope is that um, by helping them and supporting them to achieve financial freedom, that it gives them the opportunity if they desire to do the kind of work that you and I have been talking about, uh, if they want to and, and then if they need to. And if they don't, then I'm just as happy to uh, to help them meet their financial needs because sometimes that's all the only thing that, that is missing for folks. Um, and then aside from that, I, I have, uh, I'm in the process of launching something called Beyond the Rebellion. And this is a very small mastermind community where um, I'm not the expert. I'm just one of the participants and looking for high achieving men who are interested in finding the fulfillment that they thought their success would bring them. Um, and uh, so I'm excited. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like yet, but uh, it's the path I'm walking. And so I, I, excited to invite people on it with me, um, you know, as it evolves. Yeah. Well, and, and I highly recommend one, if you're looking to get in self-storage um, or if you're already in it and want to learn more to check out the storage rebellion and Mike. Um, but when I signed up, uh, well, when I met you, whatever we talked five ish years ago, um, I had no idea that I was going to get such deep personal development as well. Uh, which has happened. So if you want personal development and don't necessarily need the storage or not interested in storage, Mike is a great person to to reach out to and, and learn more from. Um, so where can people find you? Uh, the storagerebellion.com is, is probably a good place to go for folks who just want to see what the community is all about. Uh, storagerebels.com is our free community that people can join. There's like a seven day course, I think. There might even be a well, I don't know what else there is, but there's all, all sorts of free storage content that people can use to explore storage specifically. And then, um, yeah, that's it. That's awesome, man. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this, I mean, this is going to be a mind blowing episode for most people. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks for following, subscribing, and listening to this episode of the Do More podcast hosted by John Farling. To learn more or ask questions, go to l4investing.com.